We won't have an uh, official reading of Scripture this morning. We have plenty of Scripture to work through, uh, but where I won't have you stand for the reading of Christ's Word. Um, as you can probably tell, in many ways, the Word is right in front of us this morning when you walked in, is that we can see very clearly a tangible picture of, of the Lord's Supper. And so today I thought it would be uh, probably most wise to take a quick brief break from Ecclesiastes 3 in order for us to hear what the Word has to say about the Lord's Supper. And so I thought I would take just a, a few minutes this morning and to give a sermon of what the Lord's Supper is, why it is that we take of the Lord's Supper, uh, why it matters for our daily living. So addressing really those three things because sometimes we come in, we see the table set up, but we might not figure out or really think deeply about, you know, why is it that we do this? You know, I've done this for as long as I can remember since I became a Christian, but why is it that we really take of the Lord's Supper? So I'd like to address that this morning. Uh, some of you might have a couple of shows that you watch weekly. Uh, this is not certainly one that we watch every single week. We're not uh, one of those that quickly turns on uh, the TV on a Friday night, but one that has become a favorite of ours is Blue Bloods. You might see it. You might know what I'm talking about. Uh, Blue Bloods is uh, a weekly show that develops around essentially three, three generations of, of a family. You have a grandfather and his children and then their children. And all of this family has something to do with uh, the, the calling of a, of a cop, of a police officer. And so what you find most noticeable every single episode that is that the family gathers together to eat around a dinner table. And so they share this meal and they also share many important conversations along with the actual dinner table. They're there gathered looking at each other from uh, right across the table, face to face, having these important conversations about life. And what you see is that there's this intimacy that is drawn in to the show because of that dinner table that happens every single episode. So these intimate times with uh, other family members, they can have issues that are resolved at that family table. They can also have uh, life trials healed at that family dinner table. They can also even have happy memories shared there at that dinner table as well. If you haven't seen Blue Bloods, that I'm willing to bet that if you don't know about this show that you've at least seen several of the episodes, and that is Duck Dynasty. So this show that took place for about five years, 2012 to 2017, where we follow this family called the Robertson family of Phil and his sons and his grandchildren. And if you watch closely, you have all of this Robertson family and it follows their business, Duck Commander. They make all kinds of duck calls and other uh, things that you can wear or even... Uh, certain types and brands of uh, coveralls and everything that goes with the duck style life or duck hunting or deer hunting, whatever they have their hands in, you have this family wrapped around and you're shown what this family is about. 
And what you quickly find out is that it's not just about duck hunting for this family. You have so much more intimacy drawn into their life when you watch because every single episode ends with what? Prayer. What? Prayer around the table. A dinner table where they're all gathered every single episode that I've seen. Their lives scatter throughout the day. Some go to school. Some go to their jobs at Duck Commander. Some go and have procedures done. Some are having fun in a duck blind. Regardless, they all gather up and there's dinner together at the table and there's prayer said. What you see with both of these shows, the Blue Bloods and also Duck Dynasty, is that the table actually shapes a family. And I think that's what they're trying to express in both of those shows, is that the table, the dinner table, shapes the way a family lives, the way the family resolves issues, the way a family can come together and have this intimate relationship with one another to share stories, all because of a dinner table you have these things brought out. Well, church, I'm thoroughly persuaded that the Lord's table does the same for His family, the church. And so when we gather around the table, our hearts are influenced to love God and neighbor more deeply and more passionately. And hopefully even our heads are convinced and convicted that Christ's death is not only to be memorialized or remembered, but also mimicked beyond the boundaries of these church walls. And so this morning, I want to really first understand what we mean by the Lord's Supper. If, if we were to give a definition of what we mean by the Lord's Supper, well, what would it be? How I define the Lord's Supper, and I'll break these down. Lord's Supper is a symbol, it is a seal, and it is a meal of God's covenant promises that we receive in faith, for our spiritual strengthening and missional action. I'm going to break each of those down. Don't think, oh my goodness, I don't know what we're talking about now. I want to break them down. First, it is a symbol of God's covenant promises. We see this in Matthew 26, where Jesus brings together all of his disciples to have this Passover meal. And so when he brings all these disciples together, it's on the first day of a festival called of unleavened bread. And Matthew 26 records this. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover? When evening came, Jesus was reclining at table with the twelve. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he, sang, he, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit and vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What we need to understand is sort of this context in which you have this meal eaten. We, we're told at uh, verse 17 of Matthew 26 that they are there at a time called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. The Festival of Unleavened Bread is a time in which Israel remembered 
the very night in which Israel was brought out of Egypt and being sent on this 40-year journey to a land of rescue, of redemption, of promise. Israel had suffered so much oppression and slavery in Egypt, and they had continued crying out to Yahweh, and Yahweh hears their cry, and he sends Moses. And so after these ten plagues happen, finally we come to Exodus 12, where you have the people of Israel about to leave that very night. But before they leave, Yahweh, God himself, gives them a feast. And to keep that feast for as many as the generations come after them. And he says this in Exodus 12. Take care of the chosen lambs or goats or sheep until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they are to eat. The same night they are to eat of the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over fire. The head, the legs, the internal organs, this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So this meal was eaten, eaten yearly. Every single year it was eaten annually. And it marked a pivotal time for Israel because it remembers Yahweh's loving kindness. It remembers Yahweh's faithfulness even when Israel was not faithful. And here you have the symbols of lamb, the symbols of bitter herbs, and even the symbols of unleavened bread or bread without yeast. If you continue to follow the story of Israel, you find out that the lamb, it symbolizes an atonement. I mean, they were supposed to wake up and they were supposed to slaughter this lamb, take the blood and cover it on the, the sides and the frames of the doorpost. And this was meant to be a symbol of the blood of one sacrificed covers our home. And so when the angel of death comes, at least in the story of Exodus, he would pass over that home. And so what we find is that this lamb symbolizes an atonement, the life of the lamb in place of Israel's own life. What about the bitter herbs? Well, this symbolized the tears of Israel. We've had a couple of Paschal meals or Passover meals with uh, churches in the past. And when you eat of the lamb, it's delicious. When you get to the bitter herbs, they are very bitter. And the bitterness is supposed to remind the people of the bitterness of the life that they had in Egypt. So the taste of the bitterness is supposed to, re to remind them. You remember where you were, how bitter life was? Well, now you know how sweet Yahweh's restoration and redemption is. And if you take of a Passover meal, they have other parts of the meal, such as the salt water. And you would dip certain vegetables into the salt water, and you would taste of the salt water. 
What do your tears taste like, church? Salt water. Right. So these salt water is remembering and it's symbolizing the tears that the people have as they're leaving Egypt. But then you also have the unleavened bread. It symbolizes the manner in which Israel was supposed to leave in haste. Because what does it say? Exodus 12, put the cloak in your belt, put your sandals on and staff in hand. That is a ready action. We're ready to go. But your bread doesn't even have time to leaven. It doesn't have time to be fully prepared. So be sure to prepare unleavened bread. Because that's how Israel once ate. They ate in haste to leave this place of slavery and bondage. When you come back to Matthew 26, you realize that Jesus doesn't only participate in this Passover meal with His disciples. He builds on it and, it, and He extends its meaning. He's not just having this Passover meal and saying, let's remember Yahweh's faithfulness. He's saying, let's remember and let's continue to live out His faithfulness. And He will say, through my death and eventually my resurrection, we will see His faithfulness and His love towards us. So we go back to Matthew's Gospel and you see Jesus taking the bread, giving thanks and he breaks it. He gives it to the disciples and he says, take and eat. And then he takes the cup and he gives thanks for it. And he passes it to the disciples and he says, take all of you. The important part, church. Take of this because this is the blood of my covenant. Which is poured out for, the, for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so here we have the Lord's Supper as a symbol of God's covenant faithfulness. But also, as I mentioned earlier, the Lord's Supper is a seal for those who receive it in faith. When we understand that we receive it in faith, we realize that there's nothing of our own actions that we can do to please God. As if we can show Him, this is how much I love you and therefore you should love me. That's, that's the contrary. That's the opposite of the gospel itself. The bread and the cup, they call us, our minds, to remember His love first. Or as John will say it both in his gospel and also in his letter, we remember that God first loved us. And in return, we demonstrate that love to others. The very heart of the gospel is that we did nothing and that our Savior did everything. And yet He invites us to live out His gospel life, His death, and His resurrection. And at the end, we see that the Lord's Supper is also a meal for our spiritual strengthening and also for us to live out in our own ministries. Because when we eat with our families around a table at dinner time, we have to realize that more is happening than just our building up of our bodies. We take of the food we eat and our bodies, we realize, are being strengthened. But our minds are also being strengthened. Our hearts are being strengthened at the dinner table. Also, our bodies as well. When we tell stories around a family meal, 
or when we are sharing what went on for the day or even when we're telling our children again and again and again, please eat your green beans. There's so much happening at the dinner table. And I'm convinced that there's so much more happening at the Lord's Supper. It's a family meal where we have brothers and sisters coming together at the table. Sure, we can say that we're getting physically strengthened through the bread and the cup. But it's so much more than that. Something more is going on. We're being spiritually strengthened when we take and eat. Our minds are being strengthened as we take and eat. Our hearts are being strengthened as we take and eat as well. And we are being made one with the Father. We are receiving the life that He has lived on our behalf. And we are called to live out that life. Because church, faith is not a private matter. Faith is not a private matter. We are called to live out publicly what our faith represents, what it means. So faith is a public way of life. If Christ is king over every square inch of this universe, then our lives are meant to actually show that He owns and He possesses everything. And He is restoring and redeeming all things. So our life is and our faith is a very much public display of God's gospel. And so when we receive the Lord's Supper in faith, we're confessing between brother and sister and others here that every part of us, minds, hearts, bodies, belong to Christ. That is a very important part of God's gospel. And the public confession at the table is met by Christ's Spirit who strengthens us And then He'll send us from this place to live out that ministry that He has first given us. So the Lord's Supper, if I can tie this all back into where we began, it is much more than what Blue Bloods and Duck Dynasty give. In fact, they're great shows. We love them. But they're faint echoes. They're whispers compared to the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is where we truly understand who God is in Christ. The Lord's Supper is where we find truly our family around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Lord's Supper truly reminds us of who we are, the broken yet redeemed family of God. So it is in the Lord's Supper that our faith is sealed, it's strengthened, And it's sustained as we meet with Christ through His Spirit so that we can live out His extraordinary gospel in our ordinary lives. That's the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and grace to us. We thank You for Your Word that teaches us of what we mean by the Lord's Supper, but also how we are meant to take and receive of the Lord's Supper as we are about to in a few minutes. So prepare our hearts already. Examine us by Your Spirit so that we might testify truly who You are. And that we also might testify truly who we are before other brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we 
prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the Lord's Supper, may you be the one that we are looking at. That you are the focus. Your death is the focus. Your resurrection is the focus. And so may we see you as we see the cup and the bread in a few minutes. Lord, prepare our hearts. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.